This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and the former Arsenal winger, Perry Groves. Here's what's coming up on this week's edition. And Cizo's peeled away to the right. And Welbeck's found him. Right-hand corner of the area. Again, it's Cizo across the face of goal. Again, it's Solly March. And again, it's a Brighton goal. 4-0 to Solly March and Brighton. Fulham nil, Brentford three. The Fulham fans leaving in their droves. A shot coming in from distance from Sobers Light. It takes a deflection. The goalkeeper makes a save. But once again, he can only palm it into the path of a Liverpool player. And Jota stabs home from close range. Liverpool three, Bournemouth one. Here we are then, boys, at Box Park. We came here to watch the Lionesses win the World Cup. That didn't happen. In fact, it was quite a disappointing weekend all round. For me, anyway. I mean, England lost, Chelsea lost. And then, unfortunately, I thought I was going to get to the mickey out of you because of Manchester United losing, but then you took the mickey out of me because Chelsea had their pants pulled down. You couldn't wait to come in and tell me that. Well, that was the one saving grace from the weekend, really, because uh, the second half of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was really deflating. But then you... You always know there's someone worse off than you. And, and you look at the money Chelsea have spent, they lose again, still haven't won a game under Pochettino and one of their big money signings, two of their big money signings, are very culpable. Who, who needs friends when you've got enemies like this? Boys, it's an, an edifying human trait when you take great satisfaction from someone else's misfortune. Yeah. But in football, bare it's knuckle, fine. gloves it's are fine. off. <laughs> just, just so you can just make think someone else is worse off than me yeah um, I think we should probably pay tribute to the Lionesses did very well over the course of the tournament in fact you know they didn't play as well as they did in the European Championships they worked their way into the tournament and got to the final and they did the country proud although they weren't at their best uh, when it came to the final and they were end up being outplayed by a Spain team which I think deserved to win the World Cup in the end right what about the Premier League weekend who deserved to win the game at the London Stadium and why didn't Chelsea overperform on their XG. Well, maybe they haven't spent their money in the right place. West Ham 3, Chelsea 1. There was an XG of uh, 1.8 for West Ham, 2.45 for Chelsea. I, I almost made a mistake right at the very top of this podcast by suggesting that Chelsea had won the game. They probably should have done. What do you get for 220 million quid nowadays, Perry? Well, you get um, a centre midfield player who comes on his debut and gives a penalty away with right. a ridiculous challenge. And you have a centre midfield player. I think he was only 105 million, though, wasn't he? To be fair. 105 Bargain. for um, Fernandez. Enzo and 115 for the boy Caicedo. Yeah, to be fair, I, I thought that Ariola did well because when Fernandez comes to take the penalty, he waits for Ariola to move and it's like you have a stare off, think, no, I'm not moving, mate. You've got to make your mind up. 
and he wasn't positive. Decent height for the goalkeeper in the end, decent save. But I think Chelsea were in the ascendancy then. And if they score that, then I think it's a completely different game. So at the top level, it's always the managers will always say fine margins, yeah. and you've got to make sure that you take your chances when you're in your ascendancy. I think the XG statistic though tells us that Chelsea's biggest problem and has been for a while is that they don't score enough goals. They don't convert enough of their chances. They create those opportunities, but they don't take them. And let's have it right: if you spend the best part of a GDP of a small island nation, you should have at least found someone to score you some goals. Well, they've got someone, potentially, but they don't want to use him. And uh, I didn't want to kick Poch while he was down by suggesting this, but we spoke about the fact they had 17 shots, so much possession. Do you need to go out now and buy a recognised centre-forward? Romelu Lukaku is still a Chelsea player. Is there not a case now, based on what we've seen in these first two games of the season, his move to Juventus doesn't seem to be progressing? Is there not a case for the, the Chelsea board, and there are enough of them, for Pochettino and Lukaku to get in a room settle their differences and actually for him to start repaying what was a significant investment. It was a significant investment and I can't understand why this is now the case but they have closed the door on that. In fact on Friday during the press conference in the build up to this game he was asked directly about Romelu Lukaku and he said I am not wasting any energy in trying to convince him that he can restart his Chelsea career. That door's closed, it looks like it's over. I, I think that ship sailed probably 18 months ago with Lukaku. And you're saying, it, football sense it, Mike, because he's a big, strong presence up front. You know that he's going to get himself in the penalty box. Chelsea don't have any presence in the 18-yard box whatsoever. But I think from Lukaku's point of view, he's made it particularly clear he doesn't want to play for Chelsea anymore. But there's no winner at the moment from this situation because he's not got the move away. Chelsea have got an asset. I think he's still their highest paid player that they're not utilising. So who's actually benefiting from this standoff? Well, at this moment in time, I think you'll probably find that it's going to be a negotiation tactic. His agents and himself are trying to force a move to Juventus in some way, shape or form. But they I think, don't want him. The fans don't want him. Well, the fans don't want him at Juventus, but Max Allegri has made it clear that he wants him. The reason that he started negotiating with Juventus in the first place is because Max Allegri had told him basically that he was going to be the number one striker, the main man, and that ego that he has, which is, you know, it's, it's pretty... It's something that fuels him. He wants to be the centre of attention. He wants to be the big man in the room. He wants to be the number one striker. He knocked on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's door many moons ago and said, look, I'm going to win the Ballon d'Or. I'm going to be the best player in the world. You just need to get me in this team and I will score you goals. OK, he was ultimately told that he needed to work on a few other bits and pieces before he was going to be able to do that. However, the fact of the matter is, is that you need to feed that ego if you're going to get the best out of him. And Chelsea aren't prepared to do that. Juventus, or their manager at least, were prepared to do that, but they can't afford the, the, the dough because they can't get rid of a player in Vlajevic that they want to get out of the door. So it's all a little bit of jigsaw uh, puzzles and uh, ball juggling at this moment in time. I think he'll leave before the end of the window. But Chelsea do have a player in Nicholas Jackson on the uh, staff. Has he got what it takes to be able to fire Chelsea into the upper echelons of the league where they expect to be? He's quick. His movement's very good. I'm just not sure at the moment that he's actually physically strong enough to counter the physicality and the power of the Premier League. So I think you'll see that he'll, he'll grow into it. But unfortunately, Chelsea, you've got no time to grow into it, no time to develop, because Pochettino's already said he wants a young, vibrant team, which he's got. 
but they remind me and of a sort of an under 21 side that have got two or three senior players in there trying to develop them you can't develop players in the Premier League it's too hot we saw that today against West Ham there's no grown-ups in the team I mean Thiago Silva's 39 years of age okay yes he is an experienced player but there's not enough grown-ups in the team experience leadership one of those who actually I think has thrived over the last couple of weeks because he is a grown-up is Raheem Sterling yeah very much so and that, that's no surprise because I know from conversation with people close to Raheem that he was really looking forward to playing with Pochettino he likes his football philosophy I think he stepped up to be a leader I was slightly surprised actually when Ben Chilwell went off the armband didn't go to Raheem it went to Thiago Silva I guess he is the elder statesman in the team but he's been a shining light for Chelsea and actually his combination play with Nicholas Jackson was really good particularly in the first half I like Jackson but I think you can see now why he was so close to joining Bournemouth I think he's a player if he was at a smaller club in the Premier League if he was at a a Bournemouth or a Wolverhampton Wanderers he would get the opportunity to grow into quite a good striker but I think it's asking an awful lot to propel a team like Chelsea back into top four contention I don't think he's there yet say just he's got to develop but you can say that about probably seven Chelsea players managers like to have young players because they'll buy into you a lot quicker and they won't question your methods but what Pochettino's got to do he's got to start winning games because you know what it's like even at Chelsea I'm not saying that he's under pressure he goes four or five games and you haven't won one then there's gonna be questions asked and the Chelsea faithful will turn and I'm just looking at Pochettino as well just thinking you said about leaders when things ain't going right on the pitch there's nobody that he can actually turn to on the pitch and say, right, you've got to galvanise this group of players. Because we saw at, at centre-half, you saw with Levi Cowell and Disassi as well, there's nobody... Thiago Silva should be the one who's marshalling them, but that didn't seem to happen He's today not at London Stadium. No, and that's Silver. a problem, isn't it? Because ultimately, you've got a situation where you've got um, a manager who's come in, he's got lots of great ideas, he's a very good coach, very good man-manager, but ultimately he hasn't got the tools to work with that he needs to, to mount a challenge for the top four. I think you're right. Um, I think Levi Colwell was left a little bit exposed playing as a left-back. Why is uh, he playing left-back? He struggled in that position. I mean, it, it was a rigid back four today. Obviously, when we were at Stamford Bridge last week, it was more of a... Fluid a, back four. Yeah, exactly. They sort of melded into a back four Some, when they started in the three. Yeah, sometimes it was a three, sometimes it was a four. Obviously, Chapwamaker was a, a big positive in midfield. But we, we know that Pochettino is usually a very upbeat character. I've got to say, when he walked into the... the, the the interview room after the game broom cupboard as it is at West Ham <laughs> he looked a little bit forlorn hold on they got a massive stadium and you interviewed him in a broom cupboard <laughs> yeah, basically um, but he looked frustrated and he looked a little bit downbeat and dare I say a little bit pessimistic was he looking for a new sweeper by his standards hey <laughs> but um ching if he was they'd probably pay about 50 million quid for it wouldn't they Chelsea <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, let's uh, let's focus a little bit on West Ham because we should actually point out the fact that West Ham won this game. Chelsea just didn't lose it. I mean, they Chelsea did lose it, but West Ham did very well to stick into the game despite the fact that they were reduced to ten men. I mean, why on earth Naive Agard got a standing ovation when he left the pitch? I don't know because it was a reckless challenge and a silly one from him. But ultimately, West Ham needed that big result because it's been a, a summer where there's been grumbles despite the Conference League win. Yeah, well, I did um, the West Ham's first game of the season down at Bournemouth and I actually thought they played at work. They, they got a 1-1 draw, Jared Byron scored like a weldy and they were typical West Ham, like sat deep, difficult to beat. Pakatar and Fonells, I know Fonells obviously didn't play against Chelsea but Pakatar was outstanding. Coming back on the train, there's a lot of the West Ham fans were moaning about David Moyes saying about the, fo the uh, football's boring, why can't they take the game to a team like Bournemouth and I'm sitting there thinking, you just won your first trophy for 43 years. It's been like that all summer. Yeah. 
Well, it's been like that for three years, ever since David Moyes Crook, has been in situ. Crook and I have been doing White and Jordan for a lot of the summer, and it, we've had that feedback all the way through. So, I mean, it, it wasn't going to change with a 1-1 draw down at Bournemouth. And I think the key thing is now is what happens next. He might actually have been saved by the fact that Pakatar is under investigation by the FA because he ain't going to go anywhere, right? Or is he? Well, I guess that depends how quickly it gets resolved. He, he's convinced that he's innocent. He's stunned by the allegations. If he can prove his innocence, then I think Manchester City is still lurking. When this came to light Friday afternoon, it was described to me as being 90% that Man City have walked away. So there's still that 10% chance. I asked David Moyes directly after the game, is he going to stay now? And he said, well, you'll know better than me. I'm not sure I will. <laughs> You're the West Ham manager, but thank you. You're the transfer. Exactly. He's acknowledging uh, my, he, he, my he, job title. He's, ob he's, ob he's obviously realised just how important you are. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I think if they can keep him, brilliant. It, it was still very West Ham. They scored from a set piece. Brilliant delivery from James Ward-Prowse seven minutes into his debut. Yeah. He also set up the second goal. But it was very much after they scored, sit back, invite the opposition onto you and try and hit on the counter-attack. And I think that's where West Ham fans get frustrated. They feel that they've got good enough players now, maybe to be a little bit more ambitious so with their playing style. When it was one all, you was obviously at the stadium. What was the atmosphere? Could you feel? Because Kerry was going to me, they're going to turn, they're going to because, turn. I you, because there was a stat when, when we was watching it, Sam, when it, that there was 72% possession for Chelsea. Chelsea had wrestled and control of the game. Exactly, yeah. And West Ham basically were just sitting probably five yards outside their own 18-yard box. Yeah, well, the goal was scored, what, in the... 27th minute was it they got back in the game Chelsea um, I can't remember but, yeah I mean obviously they went in front and Chelsea dragged it back to 1-1 and Chelsea took control once that goal went in and it was at the start of the second half it was all one-way traffic and as you said when we were doing the programme together the Antonio goal was against the run of play but Chelsea's issue is they can't convert the chances so even then when they were pushing to create chances they weren't able to convert them and ultimately then you know committed uh, a cardinal sin with Kai Sado. In, in answer to Perry's question, I didn't necessarily detect a lot of negativity, I've got to say. Well, especially at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Very positive at the yeah. end of the game. But you know what? Pleasantly surprised, I think. And I think, actually, even the most ardent West Ham fans will acknowledge that 3-1 probably wasn't a fair reflection of the game. No, absolutely. And Chelsea, if they'd been a little bit more ruthless, they would have won the game. Look, I've had enough of this. This, this, this cheer me up. Spurs 2, Manchester United nil. Let's concentrate on what happened on Saturday and talk about your club that's in crisis. Uh, Manchester United had the worst record of any team in the Premier League last season away at the top nine and that continued uh, on Saturday night when they lost away at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, what does that say about the character of the group? It says that they've got the same problems they've had for some time now. Uh, it was a much better performance in the first half than what we saw on Monday. They were really disappointing on Monday night. They had a couple of big opportunities. I think Bruno Fernandes has to score. And I think VAR would have proved actually that he was onside. Oh, he was onside, but Rashford was offside when he had his big chance that he missed. And that was a bad miss as well. Obviously, they've hit the, the woodwork. But as soon as they conceded that goal, very early in the second half, they just collapsed. And they've done that too often, particularly away from home. As soon as they enter some adversity, the players will, they go missing, and you just never get the impression that they have the mental fortitude, the character, the toughness to turn it around and actually go, go on and win the game. And I think that's a big problem, that mentality at Manchester United is an issue. Bruno Fernandes gets a lot of stick because people say he doesn't lead by example. But what you find at a lot of football clubs now, you have a leadership group. I'm not sure United have got enough leaders to make a group. I'm not sure they've got enough leaders to fill this podcast. 
Um, I think one of the big issues here is that, and I think Eric Ten Hag sort of articulated this, is it would have all been very different if they'd scored the first goal in the game. Because by conceding the first goal in the game, they were chasing the game, therefore they had to be a little bit more open. I still don't think the configuration of that mil midfield no. is correct, because you've got two wide players that stay incredibly wide. You've got two rather attacking midfield players who want to get forward and help out the attack. And then you've got Casemiro. And because they're, the, the midfield players are so wide and not tucking in to help out their other two central midfield players, you're in a situation where the whole uh, midfield is stretched and there's so much room for Pat Saar, who's only what, played less than 20 appearances for, for Tottenham Hotspur and East Basuma, to pop the ball around all day long. Madison and, and those two were having an absolute field day. But I do think if they'd scored the first goal in the game, it would have been a different story. And they should have had a penalty, shouldn't they? But then football's easy when you're winning. Yeah, but the thing is, Sam, you're saying about, you know, um, the two wide players stay wide. They don't track back. No, they don't. No, none of the main United players that I've seen, even under Ten Hag, in the wide areas, whether it's uh, Garnacho and Anthony, obviously against Spurs, when all the top teams lose the ball, there's a shape. There's a shape and they get back into the shape and they close down. Man United don't get back into shape quick enough. You mentioned about Casemiro. I think that the Premier League is going to catch up with him, that his legs are gradually going. He's going to catch it. up with him if he's on his own. Yeah, but he needs someone next to him. That's what I'm saying. Mason Mount isn't really used to playing in uh, that position. And Bruno Fernandes, I think you said about the stats against the, the top teams. Mm. That's why they struggle, because they've got too many players that don't work off the ball. Well, here's a question for you then. If we know this, and we've seen this over the course of the last couple of years, who's to blame for it? Because the manager is the player, is the man who sets up the team. Does the little ball genius, as you so affectionately called him after his uh, victory oh, over nice Barcelona, <laughs> um, it, does he come under a little bit more scrutiny now if he can't sort out this midfield conundrum? Well, there's two answers to that question. One, I, I will criticise him because I, I couldn't understand why having performed so badly against Wolves he not only named the same 11 but he basically played the same system you're not going to tell me it's the Glazers fault are you well partly because the player that he wants to shore up that midfield and is playing alongside Casemiro is Toffee and Amrabat there's been conversations going on with his advisors for several weeks now but Manchester United can't finance the deal due to FFP that's because the Glazers have run the football club so badly but they've also got a lot of players Harry Maguire being one Donny van der Beek another who are on such good salaries at the football club, but they're not pushing to leave. And until one of those players is sold, I'm not sure this Amrabat deal is going to happen. I think if you put Amrabat in alongside Casemiro, that solves the problem straight away. Possibly, um, but I think you can still position players correctly, set up a team Agreed. not to be as open with different personnel. Sofian Amrabat isn't the old, only midfield player that exists in the world. Arguably, at this time, you probably could do with a Scott McTominay alongside Casemiro when you're that open. Yeah, it's worth a go, but I think Ten Hag clearly doesn't trust McTominay. But he's got to trust someone. He can't yeah. keep playing like he is. I mean, he's not going to trust. He can't trust the midfield that he's playing at this the moment. The only thing with McTominay is he will try and stop your position from playing. Yeah. So if James Madison was getting the ball in the ten pocket, which he was, he would actually go and engage him, wouldn't he? Uh, you said about Saar uh, running forward as well. So he will do something and sacrifice himself for the team. There's not enough Man United players to do oh, that. And Marcus Rashford, to me, his body language looks like he's sulking when he actually plays but as why? a centre forward. But why? Why is he not the happiest guy in the world, right? He has got a wonderful England career. He's, got, he's playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world. He scored 30 goals last Big season. Big pay rise in the summer. He's got a massive contract at Manchester United. He should be relishing being the leader of this group, being the front man in this team. But it looks to me like he's unhappy that he has to play down the middle at this moment in time because Hoyland isn't fully up to speed with Eric Ten Hag's methods. Well, 
I mean, there's a lot of pressure on Hoyland when he comes into this team. You're asking a kid who's had one year in Serie A to suddenly come in and be the saviour. Yeah, but he hasn't got to do much different in order to make himself look great, has he? But I think what Perry was saying there, a little bit more polite than I'll put it, there's too many selfish players in this Manchester United team, too many selfish players in this Manchester United squad. And I don't see a unity and a togetherness where they're all just pulling for one common goal. And that is something that Eric Ten Hag needs to address. Well, they're, they're a typical home and away side, aren't they? Because at Old Trafford, it's become a fortress under Eric Ten Hag and away from home. I think that uh, teams think there's a soft underbelly to this Manchester United team and you can get out. Well, Wolves nearly beat them on Monday night. In fact, Wolves should have beat them on Monday night. So ultimately, that, that's proven. I mean, it might, have been, it might be a fortress, but I mean, they were very, very lucky to keep the, the portcullis down. And what Ten Hag would say was, as he said after the game in his interviews, that it's a good sign that we haven't played very well. We've showed a little bit of resilience. We found a way to win it. And then obviously looking for an improved performance at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And they've gone back to square one again. Yeah. They've not actually played well for a few months. If you go back to the end of last season when it looked like maybe Liverpool could reel them in, the performances weren't great. Nope. And that's something that Eric Ten Hag has got to fix. Look, let's make um, everybody... Well, we've been feeling uncomfortable. I've been feeling uncomfortable. Crook's been feeling uncomfortable when he's reflecting on Manchester United's performance. So let's make Perry feel uncomfortable. You're how not well about did Tottenham, United, are you? How well did Tottenham Hotspur do? Tell us how well they played. Um... I think they're going to be very enjoyable to watch, which they are. If you look at Postacoglu as well, we're talking about um, home records. I think his teams haven't been beaten at home for 39 games. So when he was Celtic he was manager, managed to be Celtic, Barry. <laughs> no, but he's still, um, you can tell that the way that he's wanted to set his teams up to play, especially at home when they play. I saw him again in their first game season against Brentford, and you could tell that they play higher up the pitch. You can tell they get more players in front of the ball. Uh, James Madison got his two assists against Brentford, so I think he's going to absolutely thrive on being the main man. They, they milked it as well, didn't they, the Tottenham fans afterwards. The atmosphere was really good and they really sort of bought into the new sort of Ange philosophy. They enjoyed going to their football. They made sure they stuck around afterwards as well. Let's not make any bones about it. They didn't dominate this game. They weren't, they weren't all conquering in this match. United should have been uh, ahead. But last year for them, scoring goals was a problem and scoring goals away from home was a problem. For Tottenham... Actually, one of the biggest issues that they had was they're the most boring team in the league. They, they would have given a remedy for insomniacs everywhere. Yeah, but this year, they've got the pulses racing. And they, yeah, but Spurs fans are actually seeing their team actually run forward and get players into the box and pass the ball forward very quickly. There was loads of times when someone like Madison gets on the ball, he's got four or five options in front of him. And you said about, we said about Ten Hag and Manchester United having lazy players and selfish players. That won't happen under Postacoglu. Because I said I saw him at Brentford, and uh, it was a more even game than what a lot of Tottenham fans would uh, have you believe. Darren Ambrose being one of them, saying that he actually dominated Brentford, which they didn't. But the encouraging signs were they had a shape, they had a philosophy. The only thing I would worry a little bit about: they've got to get used to playing the high line, because there's a couple of times against Brentford and against Manchester United where they haven't got pressure on the ball. They still play the high line and they become vulnerable in behind. But again, it's just um, like early days for Postacoglu, but four points, all Spurs fans will be very happy. Villa four, Everton nil. Everton are bang in trouble. They're bang in trouble because they don't score any goals. Dominic Calvert-Lewin got back into the team this weekend and was substituted before half time. Neil Mope had a brilliant chance at three nil down to get on the score sheet and he missed from point blank range. Are they ever going to score another goal? Neil Mopo makes me look prolific, my, uh, my goal scoring <laughs> record trust. Is it 
is it 29 games 29 now? 29 now, yeah. 20 games yeah. he hasn't scored. But, I mean, he's obviously, like, confident shots, like, especially if he just moves on. Do you know what I mean? But Everton, uh, as, a, as a team, and they didn't play as a team. That was the problem, because Sean Dyche actually said they were poor out of possession, poor in possession. And we said, Sam, didn't we, when we was watching the game, it's not as if it's an inexperienced Everton uh, back four. And if you put Jordan Pickford in, obviously you say a back five, four of those are full England internationals. Yeah. And, and they were all over the place. Keane and Talkowski was all over the place. And when you give a ball away, Ashley Young, right, who's an unbelievably experienced player, when you actually throw the ball 25 yards back to your own centre half and it doesn't reach, and then Duran just nicks in and makes it four, you're looking around thinking, oh, all your brain scrambled. Is it what is actually going on through your head? And I actually. And, Old pros don't like me saying it, but I can tell that there were some players in that Everton team that weren't putting everything in it. Now, whether that's... That, that would worry me. That Whether that's... Two games into the season. Exactly, whether that's physically or mentally. And Sean Dice himself said that there was a lot of players there that weren't switched on mentally. Well, that's your job as a professional sportsman, professional athlete, that you're already mentally and physically. Everton were nowhere near it. I think there's a couple of big issues here. You highlighted the England internationals that made serious mistakes. I mean, Jordan Pickford giving away a penalty in those circumstances was unbelievably yeah. negligent. But not from him, because he's done it, what, five times over the course of his Premier League I, career? I couldn't understand why on earth he felt it was a need to fly out like that. I didn't think there was that much contact, I've got to be honest with you. But there was contact, so you can give the penalty. But it, it was a weird thing for him to do. As you say, not necessarily out of character. But Keenan Tarkovsky, I mean, Keane looks like his confidence has been shot again. He, I mean, he, he has these bouts of real bad runs of form where he loses all confidence in himself. It was our good friend Darren Lewis, wasn't it, who said if you circle the drain for long enough, eventually you're going to sink down the plug hole. And you have to look at Everton, and Frank Lampard actually made this point last season when he was struggling. Well, look, we were struggling the year before. I've not got a magic wand. Is anyone surprised that we're struggling? They probably didn't deserve to stay up last season. They stayed up on the basis of one freak result at Brighton on that Bangalore Monday. And here they are again, without significant investment, without a striker in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's got the capability to stay fit for any period of time. So are we surprised that Everton already no, not are all. looking like relegation? I, I, I don't think we're, we're surprised, but I think we're also not surprised that already we had people calling into our show on Sunday afternoon on TalkSport suggesting that Sean Dyche is not the answer because this is a cycle that repeats itself on an annual basis for Everton. And I've mentioned to this to you before, when you were sitting there slagging off Frank Lampard, I said to you, Who's not very good. I'm telling you what is going to happen here. Frank Lampard will keep them up. Within the first few months of the season, they'll be calling for his head because he's not playing the right type of football or not getting the right sort of results. They'll sack him, they'll get another manager in, that manager will go back to basics, that manager will just about get them over the line, then that manager will start the next season not playing very well, get sacked, rinse and repeat. It happens every year, Perry. Yeah, but that actually comes down to your saying about uh, the, uh, the owner, uh, Mr Moshiri, spending £660 million on players. We could do a Twitter poll. Who spent the, the money the worst? worst. Chelsea's Chelsea. Todd Bowley or Everton's Farhad Moshiri? But I, I think with uh, Moshiri and what happens at any football club, you've got to delegate properly. You've got to get the right sporting directors in. You've got to get uh, the right manager and the right coaching. But then there has to be um, a good relationship between everybody. And there wasn't uh, from Mashiri when he first took over. Michelle Brantz obviously was in there for a period of time, wasn't he? Um, his signings were questionable, to say the least. And they've wasted that amount of money. And as you said there, then it just cycle, just repeats itself over and over again. The, the one thing I would find is 
Sean Dyche has um, built his reputation on having teams that are very difficult to break down and very difficult to score against, especially away from home. That wasn't the case against Aston Villa today because that was like herding ferrets. They were all over the place. There was no shape whatsoever. And it wasn't the case for much of the back end of last season either. As I say, it was one freak result that kept them up. That's why I've never really subscribed to the opinion that Everton will be fine because they've got Sean Dyche. I'm not sure they will be. No, Good well, to see Villa bounce back and your mate Paul Torres played well as well. He didn't do too badly, but then again, if he was up against no striker, yeah. I'm sure he's not going to have too or many Neil problems. Mopay. <laughs> You said that, not me. Uh, we must talk about Villa. On phone? Is that your, you just beeped on <laughs> your phone. Another one of his golfing buddies. Yeah. Um, uh, make sure you big up, pal. Um, Villa, Villa have now got eight consecutive Premier League home wins in a row, which is their best record since 1990 in the top flight. So well done Very to good. Unai Emery. Uh, but they need to put a decent result on the board after five uh, the 5-1 thrashing away at Newcastle last week. It'll be interested to see what happens to them next weekend. Um, in terms of Everton next weekend, I think they've got Wolverhampton Wanderers next weekend, which is almost a very early basement battle, isn't it? Derby of the doomed. <laughs> got nil-nil written all over it, <laughs> it? Who's going to score in that game? <laughs> Should you do it on corners? Oh, you do it over the most corners. That, that has you got win. under two and a half goals written, written all everywhere. over it. Both teams to score, no. Right, OK, uh, let's move on and go up to Anfield, where I think... Maybe many of the Anfield faithful got a very early scare. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Well, Liverpool look like they can score a bucket load of goals and concede a bucket load of goals. They left Anfield thinking, um, many of the supporters, I think, thinking, how was it only three that we scored? And then Bournemouth fans were leaving thinking, how did we not get something from that game? They're almost a little bit like Kevin Keegan's Newcastle side, Liverpool, in the fact that they, they, they play so open and attacking. You and I did the game down at Stamford Bridge last week, and I said to you when the team sheet came out, Crook, I think this is 4-2-4, and you went, no, 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 it can't be 4-2-4. After about five minutes, you looked at me and you went to me, I think it's 4-2-4, <laughs> and it was 4-2-4 again this weekend. Yeah, I think probably more by necessity than design, because obviously Endo didn't come in in time for Jurgen Klopp to think he could come into the team, but... 
it's asking a lot of a, a 30 year old from Germany I think to come in and, and totally transform that it midfield. It doesn't look 30 though according to Jurgen Klopp it doesn't look, doesn't look like he can drive let alone be 30. <laughs> but I think they will bring in one more uh, midfielder between now and the end of the transfer window I think they need to because that's a big problem area for them. I, I don't actually think Liverpool play particularly well. I didn't think they were the better team at Stamford Bridge. I thought Chelsea were. I think you look at the number of chances they afforded Bournemouth, I think they've still got a long way to go before they, they're getting back to where they were, what, two seasons ago? Why don't they try and go after someone like Calvin Phillips who can't get a game down at Manchester City? Couldn't even get off the bench at the weekend. That, that might be quite a good addition for them. Someone who knows the league, someone who's got a bit of a point to prove, someone who is that defensive shield in front of the back four, someone who wouldn't have to move too far because he's already based in the northwest. So, yeah, maybe one to watch that. Do you think Guardiola would let um, Cal Phillips go to one of his main rivals? Well, if he thought they were a main rival, no. But I don't think he will. He let do. quite a few players join Arsenal, didn't he? Well, our main <laughs> rival, see, he's come back to bite him, hasn't it? Not really, mate, no. <laughs> we will do this year, don't worry about that. <laughs> I think they still well, won the treble last year. Who's got more chance for the title, Chelsea, Man United or Arsenal? Uh, uh, oh, that, I think the hesitation Arsenal. doesn't help, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but listen, we're not in the title race. We're just happy to still be involved in the Premier League, mate, after losing 16 games last year. Don't start on me. Um, let's continue on Liverpool. Wataru Endo will probably help their midfield balance in the end. He only played 30 minutes, as Crook has already said. But the biggest conundrum appears to me still to be what to do with Trent Alexander-Arnold because within the first 57 seconds of the game, he was caught out defensively. Within two minutes, they conceded a, a, a goal. He obviously is brilliant going forward, but they can't get that balance right for him at this moment in time, and it is causing them problems defensively. Yeah, I think ideally what they'd like to do is he comes and plays, he starts at right back, and then he goes and plays in that inverted midfield role. And then Sabozlai, which he did obviously against Bournemouth, then he goes, plays a little bit further forward. McAllister can play further forward. But the thing with Trent is what he doesn't do is he doesn't think in the what ifs. He doesn't think if, if it breaks down, where should I be? You know, he doesn't think like a defender. He's a, sort of a, a wing back, isn't he? Come sort of a normal right back. But when Liverpool were at their pomp, him and Robertson, they will play very, very high up the pitch and leave 2v2. And you, you were saying about the formation, Sam, you know, was it 4-4-2? Sometimes it's 2-4-4. 4-2-4, I thought it was. Yeah, all right. So but an it old can be school sort of Uruguay formation from 1938. Yeah, but it can be 2-4-4 sometimes because they'll just leave Van Dijk and Kanate yeah. on, on their own. But the thing that Liverpool are struggling with as well, Van Dijk hasn't been the same since he had his really bad knee injury. He's lost that half a yard to yard of pace it's he used to have where he said cruise and no one I think there was a stat wasn't there was it about like 58 games and no one had gone past him 1v1 yeah that air invincibility is gone so then you haven't got that secureness at the back and that causes confusion doesn't it it puts doubts in the mind the players around him it puts doubts in the goalkeeper because he was all over the shop for the first 15 minutes of that game he's still struggling with his feet again it's a bit of a worry isn't it Alison Sorry, yeah, I, I was just I was listening to the music in the background. Just to do it again. <laughs> he switched off and he was in the, taken by the soul music. Sometimes you just get taken by the tunes, Perry. I understand it. Trent Alexander-Arnold, defensively, yeah, yeah. didn't he? You see, wasn't thinking you're not thinking in what ifs. Exactly, you're not thinking what ifs. Shabozlai, let's talk a little bit about him because he played really well at the top of the midfield. He got into the box, he won the penalty. He wasn't fouled, but anyway, he got one anyway. Another VAR foul. Um, and also, I don't think it was a red card for McAllister. No, no, no. and even Bournemouth don't think it was a red card for McAllister. They're okay with a penalty, 
which surprised me yeah, because it was I was soft. I thought that was very generous. I yeah. think he was looking to go down. Suppose I was like the platoon, wasn't it? Like the arch yeah. back, and there was minimal. Again, Howard, he where engendered we was, the contact. We was all in the briefings again. What, again, where we were saying that just because there's contact doesn't mean it's a foul, doesn't mean that it's going to be a penalty, and the bar was going to be raised pretty high. Well, suppose I actually tried to dive over the bar, didn't he? Like a high jumper. So I missed it. I didn't think it was a penalty, no. and the McAllister one. McAllister actually goes with a side foot. It's not a straight leg. And there's no force. No, there's no, it's not a straight leg where your studs up. And I think that's a case where, in real time, you can understand why the referee has given it. That's a case where the VAR should actually say, I think you should come and have a look at this yeah. because yeah. it's not as bad as what I think you see at the time. You'd have thought? Was it a straight red? Yeah. Mm, don't know. It was high up on the leg. Anything above the ankle can be a red card. To be honest with you, What's the point in me suggesting whether it's going to be overturned or not? Because ultimately, the criteria for what is a red, what is a penalty, what is a handball at this moment in time is so cloudy, I can't tell you with any degree of certainty that they are going to overturn it. It wouldn't surprise me if they did, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they said, no, 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 he's got a two-game ban or something. I mean, you know, it could be as ridiculous as that. They've got Newcastle next weekend, and Jurgen Klopp will definitely want him available, especially seeing as they've got a dearth of central midfielders and Bicic still isn't back yet from his injury. Um, shall we... Uh, I mentioned formations, 4-2-4, 4 2-2-2 or 2-4-4, whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is, and we obsess about them because we write them down on paper and we get all very excited about where this player and that player is going to play. The very elite teams don't really play in that manner. Actually, they're very sort of fluid. Um, fluid. They, they metamorphosize into different shapes. I was at Manchester City on Saturday night where Manuel Akanji at one stage was playing as a left winger, as a central midfield player. He was high up the pitch playing as a number 10 at one point, the best, the very best teams can move their players all over the chessboards. And one of the very best teams in the league right now are Brighton and Hove Albion. 4-1 winners away at Wolverhampton Wanderers. They stormed to victory at Molyneux with goals from Matoma, Esther Pinyan and two successful strikes in quick succession uh, for Solly March. In front of the England manager, I mean, first of all, Perry, you were at this game. Talk to me about the goal that was scored by Matoma because that was a, a thing of beauty. Can I just, first thing, Esther Pinyan, right? That's not an assist. It is an I'd, assist. It's not an assist. It's, it's in my fantasy team. Well, when you're on the halfway line, you pass it 10 yards to your left. And then Matome has got five players that he's got a Did you get three pass. points for an I assist? I, I got three points for an assist, yeah. So I'm going to take it so as an assist. So you're taking it as an assist? Yeah, look, the, the FPL is really important. But with um, watching it live, when Matome picks the ball up on the uh, left-hand touchline and Semedo doesn't get like quite close enough to him, Gomez is trying to grab him and pull him back. Then Dawson, he drops his shoulder, goes inside Dawson. Kilman comes across, he drops his shoulder and goes outside Kilman. But then if you look at him, sometimes when you get into that position, then because you've run so far, then your brain is going like 10 to the dozen. Matoma actually calms himself down, opens his body out and just slots it in the far left-hand corner. It's, it's a fantastic goal from Matoma. And Brighton are always an absolute pleasure to watch because Deserver made three changes to the starting lineup. It didn't affect him at all. And his squad, he says he's got two players for every position. Mm. There's never a drop-off. Whatever changes he makes, there's never a drop-off. Yeah, but that's because they're frightened of going in the dressing room afterwards <laughs> because he'll absolutely rollock them I'd... if they do drop off, as he did straight after the game. Sam, I saw him. They were 4-1 up and his opinion uh, overlapped down the left-hand side. Joe, Joe Pedro had just come on 
and then he was screaming at Jao Pedro to get him set, get him back into left back position to make sure that he covers so that Wolves can break it. And they're four one up, so he's got unbelievably high standards. Team mirrored the managers. I've got to mention Enciso by the way because he was absolutely outstanding. One of the changes that you were talking he, about. He come and played in the ten position instead of Jao Pedro. And uh, don't underestimate Danny Welbeck as well, what he does for Brighton up front. He gives him a focal point. We're talking about a dearth of strikers. May United could do with him up front, couldn't they? Chelsea could do with him. <laughs> United up <front>. had him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way. Exactly. Yeah, but I'm just <laughs> it was saying. a long time ago now. <laughs> but um, and CISO. Well, they brought back Johnny Evans. Maybe they'll bring back Danny Welbeck. Enciso, sorry. Diego Forlan, is he yeah, available? He's available. You took a picture with him in Qatar, didn't you? <laughs> I did. When he was wearing his budgie smugglers <laughs> by the pool. What was Crookie was wearing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an image I don't need. I anyway, don't need move that Enciso. Enciso, come and played in the at 10 position. And Wolves actually, early on, tried to put the, the full press on. They were playing like 4v4. Jason Steele, who was outstanding with the ball at his feet, made yeah. a brilliant save as well from Fabio Silva when it was 1-0. got score though, Silva there. Yeah, but again, there was no conviction there whatsoever. And ain't Nori, to be fair. But then when they got the pressure on, Jason Steele was actually pinging it through the centre of the Wolves midfield into Enciso. Kilman and Dawson didn't know whether to stick or twist, but what Enciso does brilliantly is he gets himself on the half turn so he can feel the centre half coming in so he can take it. The outside of his left foot, outside his right foot, and you look at his two assists the first Solly March. The first one, he made a look with the outside of his right foot, just bends it into Solly March's path and he just takes it first time. The second one is on the right-hand side, incept with his right foot, again bends it across into the um, penalty box and Solly March finishes it with his left foot. So I just see of the Brighton, they're all total footballers. Yeah, that's and what I was saying about the formations, they can play anywhere. You mentioned Gareth Southgate was at the, at the game. Yeah. Solly March must have a chance to get himself in he, he should, the squad. should have been in the squad at the end of the season Solly March but, with but the way he finished the season but, but ultimately what they really want is Enciso to stay here for five years get him on residency mm. rules and nick him from Paraguay they call him the diamond of Paraguay but if he stays here for five years we give him a British passport we can have him in fact we could do that with a whole Brighton squad yeah, if they well, stay here Phil Foden would be pleased with that wouldn't he, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about him in just a second <laughs> but let's talk uh, about Brighton and what they can possibly achieve we did a lot on Wolves on the Thursday podcast and you know I think we were all sort of like oh Wolves would be okay and not necessarily as sure now but they were playing one of the best and I reiterate it one of the best teams in the league in Brighton and um, if they keep scoring at the current rate we've only had two games and they've scored eight goals they'll get 152 by the end of the season now even I know that that would be ridiculous and they're not going to do that but they are going to score a lot of goals over the course of the campaign what can they achieve can they challenge for top four does their manager think they can do more than that because you're very close to them we've had a few conversations with them I think they've got lofty ambitions I think he was disappointed they didn't hold out and finish in the top four last season. Obviously, they've lost a couple of key players, but that never seems to be much of a problem uh, for Tony Bloom because they've always got somebody waiting in the wings. Esther Pignan, a fine example of that, by the way. He looks a much better footballer than Kukurea, and he cost a fraction of the price. I think it's a problem for teams like Manchester United, for Liverpool, if we're saying they're a work in progress, for Chelsea, who are definitely a work in progress, because teams like Brighton, and maybe we'll talk about Brentford later, that they, they are so well run, so well organised, so well managed, that they believe they can achieve something special. Do I think Brighton can win the title? No. Would De Zerbe like them to try and go close? Yes. Do I think they can get in the top four? I think they've got every chance. Well, I said to you on the Sunday session that I think there's a possibility they can break into the top four. And the reason I think that is because exactly what Crook has said, there's a clarity about Brighton. There's a clarity about Brentford. These two clubs know who the boss is. 
Tony Bloom, Matthew Benham, right? They know what the head coach is responsible for. That head coach has given the freedom to be able to do what they need to do with the players. They've got a brilliant scouting department and a brilliant recruitment department. You look at this, someone like Chelsea and you look at Liverpool, their recruitment departments are bloated or, or, or they've become dysfunctional. In the case of Liverpool, they've turned over three sporting directors or three recruitment directors in the last two years. Chelsea, they've had three sporting directors in the last six months. They've still got two that are trying to recruit players. I think there's too many people who are in charge of the football at Chelsea. You've got Todd Bowley, Egg Barley, you've got the board is a massive bloated thing. Whereas these two clubs, Brighton and Brentford, everybody knows the, 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 the management structure. Everybody knows who's in charge and they're all allowed to do their own job without any ego. Tony Bloom doesn't say, you've got to buy that player because I think he looks nice in a Brighton kit or because he's going to do well commercially. The sole focus is winning football matches. And by winning football matches, getting great players, develop them, developing them and coaching them well, you make loads of money because you develop great football players that other people want. Before we decide the world champions, we get to feature the European ones. Foden down the right onto Alvarez, who shoots towards the far corner. It's a brilliant Julian Alvarez goal. Wonderful movement by Foden to open the pitch up. There was space for Alvarez to run into on the edge of the box. He spun brilliantly, turned and whacked the ball out of the reach of Nick Pope and into the far corner. Driving towards the edge of the area, plays a little reverse pass into Harlan, who takes it wide onto his right foot. Shoots, saved by Pope down low with his feet. Sport Bruno Gamares into play. There was lots of space, he rushed his effort and he scuffed it wide. What a chance. What a chance for Newcastle on the break. Manchester City are the victors and the Toon have now lost 15 straight games in the Premier League against the City side. It's finished at the Etihad Stadium. Manchester City won. Newcastle United now. Well, Manchester City are a bit, you know, obviously Brighton are a bit like Manchester City rather than the other way around. In fact, that they don't play in that sort of defined shape. They play sort of fluid football where players thrive in spaces, they create spaces for people to move into. And in Phil Foden, they had the standout player on Saturday night. He ran the show against Newcastle. Is he benefiting? Is he going to benefit from the fact that Kevin De Bruyne has picked up an oh, injury? He was devastated. He was devastated that De Bruyne got injured. It was like that, oh, you're right, Kev. How long did it be? Four, five months? No, you take your time, mate. <laughs> no, 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 I think it might be longer. You're 33 by the time you get back. You probably need to give it an extra exactly. few You'll make weeks. sure that you're like, right, yeah. do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Give yourself that little bit. Go and have a holiday, rest it up. You've had a tough summer. Yeah, because, you know, when you hear players say, oh, it's a shame it's injured. Phil Foden wouldn't have been like that. It'd have been, do you know what, this is my chance now because yeah. he wants to play centrally. And we spoke about it, Sam. His numbers last year were pretty good. He got 11 Premier League goals last year. Yeah. And obviously a lot of that time he's, he's coming off going to go through the roof this year if Erling Haaland can convert the chances that he gives him because he yeah. gave him two or three yesterday a which he didn't quite get a hold of no he missed a couple um, listen Foden's a wonderful player he was almost the forgotten man of their treble win because he was just struggling to get on the pitch I think he, in a way it'll be like a new signing for them and, and we were all talking about how would you replace Kevin De Bruyne how would you replace Riyad Mahrez and we were probably looking past the obvious I came away from that game feeling quite deflated maybe because it was straight after United had been well beaten at Spurs yeah you were being a bit miserable about it weren't you you weren't even appreciating the beauty of the way they got through a rugged Newcastle well, defence I think when we recorded the preview podcast we both felt that maybe this was a, a quote good time to go to Manchester City there's clearly never a good time to go to City because I didn't feel very like City had to play at their very best 
and they still managed to overcome, as Sam says, a very stubborn Newcastle side. But I never felt like they were in danger. Yes, Newcastle played well, but it was one of those games where I think if Newcastle had scored, City would have gone up Another a couple gear. of years, they'd have scored again. Possibly. I don't, think, I don't think Manchester City felt like that, speaking to them afterwards. I think they felt like they'd been in a game. I think especially Botman and Cher are very, very tough characters to deal with. They kept Haaland pretty quiet throughout the course of the game. Still had two big the chances, one, Haaland. He, he did, but he, he was off balance when he took one of them because of the presence of Fabian Cher. And they did cause him a few problems. But if you go up the other end, that's the problem for me. I think they didn't they didn't release the handbrake. Did that's they? what I say. That's what Eddie Howe was a bit disappointed. I think there's a psychological uh, and he was disappointed afterwards because Newcastle. I think they've never won at the Etihad, have they? In the in the Premier League, so a bit of a psychological problem there for him. And Eddie Howe was disappointed they didn't actually. Eddie Howe's got a poor personal record as well, hasn't he? Against Man City. Yeah, he's never beaten them. Yeah, so um, I expected. I actually thought that before the game Newcastle might go there and get a draw yeah, because, we all did. because Guardiola was saying about you know that they'd be a bit come back from Sevilla and they're tired and they're travelling and thanks for playing it's on a, like a Saturday night yeah, and that's why he had to make so many changes in the second half because they were knackered oh but, hold on a second he didn't make a substitute I think that's what depressed <laughs> me you know they, they play in a Super Cup it goes to penalties didn't make any changes in that game yeah, I don't think yeah, either but by the way do you know why he didn't make any changes in the game on Saturday because do you see the bench? Well, yeah. It was just stacked Exactly. With you've got that bench, you've got no De Bruyne, they've lost a couple of key players. I thought they'd feel the loss of Gundogan, they haven't. If they can still Yet. beat a very good Newcastle side with minimal fuss. What chance the rest of us got? We might as well pack up and go home. No, um, I, I don't like think it was minimal, minimal fuss. It was 1-0. Even though Man City obviously won the treble last year and won the Premier League, so they still lost five games in the Premier League. I know there was a couple at the end where had the flip they lost the same number on. of games as Newcastle. United, United and Chelsea it. have lost already. Yeah. Well, Chelsea aren't going to so lose the same number of games as last year, mate. Don't they worry might. about that. <laughs> They're not going to lose 16, I hope. Uh, Listen, you know, I, I've right. thought Arsenal could run Manchester City closer this season. I now think the gap could be even bigger. I think they'll win the, points, they'll win the league by more games. points. Yeah. You do flip-flop quite quickly, don't you? You there change you your mind very flip quickly. Flip-flops and budgie smugglers. Again, I don't want that image when no, I'm No, I mean, but like last week you decided that Liverpool were a shoe-in to finish in the top four. After one game you said there's no chance they'll finish in the top four. Today, Manchester City are going to run away with it. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe you should just calm down, just assess the Premier League after six weeks, see what happens when the transfer That'd window be no fun, closes. Would it? It, would, be no fun. it would certainly be no fun. Uh, and it wouldn't get you as many clicks on social, would it? Um, Brentford 3, Fulham 0. Brentford once again uh, doing a very good job away at Fulham. We haven't got too much time to spend on that, but I don't think Tim Ream should have been sent off in the game. However, I thought defensively Fulham were poor. The first goal, obviously, Diop makes a massive, massive error. You were there for that. Um, and the last goal, they'd just given up really towards the end. So Wissa had a, the freedom of the penalty area. The key thing I wanted to ask you about was what we were talking about earlier with Brentford. Thomas Frank has got a lofty ambition of his own. Yeah, I asked him outright. You, you look at what Brighton did last season. Do you feel that Brentford could follow suit and, and maybe mount a challenge right at the top? And he said, that's our ambition. We want to be pushing towards the top six. We feel there's an opportunity. And you've got to give him an awful amount of credit because you look at their run of form and particularly the goals that Wissa and Mbermo have scored as a duo since Ivan Tony came out of the team. There aren't too many teams in any league in any country in the world who could lose their talisman someone who's been so pivotal to what Brentford have achieved over the last few seasons and still prosper I think he's a very clever guy well, we, made, we, we made the point on the uh, Sunday session that they've started uh, five games together since Sony stopped playing and they've scored 10 goals during that period so they obviously work as a partnership they realised that those players could score goals they trusted in that which is why they didn't bother going out and get anybody else well I think um, Thomas Frank what you were saying there Crookie is he's very good tactically as well yeah. 
I say because I was at the game against uh, Tottenham and they went 5-3-2 um, where Visser and, and Werma played up front he changed it against Fulham didn't he they went 4-3-3 yep. Sharda came in and played on left hand side Visser through the middle and Wormo to his right so um, they've got a good little understanding I think and Wormo's actually thriving and being the main man. Great. When Harry Kane used to get injured for Spurs, Son used to thrive on being the main man. I think you've got a, a similar situation coming there because Mbwemo has taken a man. I think he's been involved in eight, ga- uh, eight goals in the last six games. Yeah, he's I mean, scored he's, six, he's, two he's a terrific player. And I think, you know, the, the Brentford fans that you speak to, actually, he's one of the names on the lips when you say, who's your favourite Brentford player? Mbwemo comes out quite a lot, actually, because they can see the work that he does and the influence he has on the team. Uh, Friday night saw Forest beat Sheffield United by two goals to one. Chris Wood came to the rescue in the 89th minute. Taiwo one year has now got eight goals in six games. He's been terrific since the end of last season, since they got him fit. So well done to Steve Cooper for not only having faith in him, but also getting him up to full speed. They look like they can score goals this season, something they didn't really have in their locker last season. Maybe they'll be all right. Fingers crossed. Come on the tricky trees. Um, but Don't like them defensively, though, Forrest. No, which is a problem. And actually, they, they sort of had the initiative in that game and then surrendered it to Sheffield United, of all people. Sheffield United, I've got to be honest, their defence looks OK. They've got experienced defenders. But they look like they've taken a punt on everybody else going forward because they just haven't got the money. Uh, we had a sort of debate on the Sunday session about whether or not um, Everton would get the same number of goals as Derby County in 2007-2008. Sheffield United, are they going to get the same level of points as Derby County? Is it 11? 11 points, one 20 win, goals. Yeah. Derby County, I think, but when it was the uh, record lowest. It's going to be a grind. Um, Is that disrespectful for us to say? I mean, you said this during the, the, the pre-season preview, and actually I've got them in notes here. The, the big question about Friday night is, is Crook going to be right? Well, they show character in the second half. As I say, Forrest let them back in the game. Forrest matched the better team for the first 45 minutes. Hamer looks a really good pick-up. I think it's Harmer. Is it? I'm pretty sure Hammer? it's Harmer. Harmer. Yeah, okay. it's Harmer time. Well, he's Hungarian, right? There you go. So it's not going to be Hamer, is it? Like, you know, Ben Hamer, who used to play... They always used to call him Hamer at Coventry, but, you know, maybe you're right. I'm not necessarily sure they did. Uh, On the subject of pronunciations, obviously there's these videos going around that Premier League players record themselves saying their own name. Yes. Kevin Sharder... Recorded his name as Kevin Shade. Decided to be... Trying to be funny. Ryan Bertrand. Uh, remember, he used to be a footballer. He did the same thing a few years uh, ago. Wan Kisaka two years ago. Oh, I wonder where he was going <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't try and say that again. What? That's what he said. But in answer to your question, I, I think Sheffield United, they're going down, and I think they might well challenge Derby for that record low number of points. Okay. They've got nothing up top. Well, listen, this has been quite miserable today. We've uh, we've, uh, we've focused I on all... I enjoyed myself, actually. Oh, oh yeah, because right. Arsenal haven't played. Yeah, but you're a bit of a Wan Kisaka. <laughs> Is that your pronunciation? <laughs> It was never good that good defensively. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, right, okay, let's move on. Uh, we're back. We will be back on Thursday to preview all the action on the Premier League All Access podcast. Remember, this is available not only as a podcast that you can download and listen to on the train, but you can watch it on YouTube as well. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll have lots more to come on TalkSport over the next uh, few days and weeks. And remember to tell all your friends to download and listen to the Premier League All Access The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. 
Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.